0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Anything But Traditional. I'm your host, Tamar Ben-Svi, and I'm so happy that you are here today to listen in on this week's episode with Eliza Abrams-Koenig. You'll hear more about Eliza in a second, but I just wanted to say a personal note about Eliza. As Giddy and I go into our ace retrieval, um, it feels hopeless sometimes to wonder if we're ever going to have children, to wonder how we're going to have children. Um, It's not easy. It's really not easy. And when I was thinking about who to have on this week, whose episode to share this week, I knew I needed to have Elisa's episode. Elisa got married at 31 years old, she had kidney issues and had to get a transplant. She got a transplant from her mother, who's one of her best friends and it was just really remarkable to hear her story. We speak a lot about what to say, what not to say, hurtful comments, our experiences. Eliza is a force to be reckoned with. She has been involved in the Yeshiva University world for over 20 years and uh She's led so many different missions to Israel and Poland, and she's just doing incredible work. So this is definitely an episode that you want to listen to. In addition, I just want to share that this episode has been dedicated to me um, in uh, honor of my birthday, which took place yesterday on uh, January 20th. And I also want to dedicate it to my father, Jeffrey Berger, his 23rd. English York site on January 25th. There's an ongoing campaign to raise money for tactical glasses. Um, you heard about his story last week, and I hope that you can help me with the campaign. Uh, the link is going to be in the bio, and uh, yeah, I hope that you can help me um, in that endeavor. That's what, you know, my friend who dedicated the episode on their my birthday um, with doing so to support all of the endeavors that we're doing. Um, and so I, I think it's right to also share about that endeavor. Um, we've raised well over 100,000 shekels so far, and uh, I'd love to get to 150,000. It's going to be over on January 25th, um, the fundraiser, so definitely please donate now when you can. Um, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Additionally, I just want to add that this episode is pretty uh, different than the episodes you've been listening to so far in the fact that it was recorded before October 7th, before the world turned upside down and before everything went crazy in Israel with the war and just everything that we've been enduring. Um, At the end of the episode, you will hear a little bit about her experience since the war began but it's uh it's a unique episode in the fact that it it really took place in a different world and a world that yeah we just don't know anymore um it's really hard to go back in time but um the stories before october 7th are still extremely important to hear to listen to yeah I'm really happy that Aliza was on. Um, Her episode was literally recorded as Giddy was building the sukkah. So make of that what you will. And also understand that it's a little bit different in terms of quality um, because it was so long ago. Um, And because I've been improving every week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for understanding. And I'm so happy that you were here today to listen to this episode of Anything But Traditional. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Aliza Abrams Koenig. I know Aliza from Stern College, um, Yeshiva University. Now she is the Director of Student Leadership at Yeshiva University. I believe that when I knew her, she was the YU Director of Alumni Engagement, the Director of Student Life at Stern College, the Director of Jewish service learning for the university she did a lot for the university and now not only does she work for the university but she also is a fertility advocate a surrogacy advocate and she really is an incredible person not only does she hold an ea for in judaic studies from stern college but she also has a master's in social work from wersweiler school of social work and is currently a doctoral candidate at wersweiler so eliza i'm so happy to have you on today and yeah we'll get to it so first and foremost, I just wanted to ask you, Aliza, where did you grow up and what was your family like growing up?
1: Sure. Uh, first thank you so much for having me. Excited of to course. be here. I love doing podcasts and Insta Lives and all these fun things, especially with you. Um, so I grew up in Muncie, New York, and um, I'm the oldest of four children. Um, I went to a shower, for anybody that knows it um, and uh, but my parents got divorced when I was 10 so I would say that was a little bit of a fork in the road or change and how you expect your life to turn out but um, you're the oldest of four I'm the oldest of four yeah great so you're the oldest and your youngest who
0: is a year older than me so she must have been She so was one okay. When my parents, Yeah, I
1: was going to say, she's probably like a baby. She was a baby. Yeah, it was pretty catastrophic in that sense. Um, but thank God we all ended up pretty normal, I would say, <laughs> and uh, well-adjusted. I really credit That's my mom.
0: Amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, my mom did a great job raising us and really made sure that we were as mainstreamed as possible in every aspect of our lives. So uh, really appreciative of that. And then I went from my uh, Ashar, I went to Mayano in Teaneck, and then on and on. I could go on with my education if you want, but you know that I, I was always from Muncie eventually we actually moved to New Jersey and I spent some years in Northern New Jersey, right? Englewood, Teaneck. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very nice. Um, I know that your mother, she lives in Brooklyn. Did I make
1: that up? Like you are making that up, but I'll tell you why because she had a clothing store called Brooklyns. uh, But that is because two reasons. One, my youngest sister is named Brooke and we Nick we used to call her as a nickname Brooklyn. And, um, my mom created this clothing store my sister is very fashion forward i did not get that gene she did and my mom was like okay you know you want to be in the fashion world we're gonna build a from clothing store and this will be like your future project and my mom wanted people to know that it was like the quality and sneas look from brooklyn but cooler because it was in teaneck um so that's where the brooklyn thing comes in but we never lived in brooklyn and uh she closed the store actually um she donated a kidney to me five years ago about four years ago she decided to close the store and and take her career in a different trajectory. So uh, Wow. So and what is she doing now? Uh yeah. So my mom works at the OU at the Orthodox Union. Um cool. yeah, in finance there. So uh she's wow. doing a bonus a Kodesh like me. A lot of my former colleagues from YU are her colleagues now at the OU, which is very cute. So uh it's it's cool. all in the family. Yeah, it's great. That's amazing. Um
0: okay, growing up in a divorced home and dealing with all of that, um, I'm sure that, as you said, it wasn't so easy. Um, Did that shape your expectations for your life when you were growing up? Did you have any expectations? What were those
1: expectations? Did they change over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that something about, you know, Taking relationships seriously was something that was certainly shaped by it. I definitely didn't want to see myself, you know, divorced. I I would say though that as a result of my parents getting divorced at a young age, um, my family is very close knit until about four years ago, five years ago, my siblings and I, we all lived within five miles of each other. Uh, now I'm the only one that's still in New York. My mom lives in the same complex as me, but my sister Dina lives in Israel. My brother David lives in Florida and my sister Brooke lives in California. So they decided to go all over the world, but all great right locations. Uh, we're all still very close, but geographically it's a little bit more challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I would say the following. I. I set my standards very high for life. Like I, I expect a lot from myself and from people that I work with, and from everything that I do. I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, but I'm also very um, I'm very much able to deal with challenges and when things do not go my way because that's how my life was growing up. You know, not just in a single parent home, but um, we were poor. Like my mom did everything she needed to do to get food on our table and clothing on our backs and to pay the bills. And it wasn't easy. And I learned a lot from that. Like I would say part of why I'm in a PhD program now at 40 years old is because I need to be as advanced in my career as possible to ensure that I'm always self sufficient. And Bar Hashem, I'm very happily married, and my husband makes a great pranasa as well. But I feel like every woman needs to be self sufficient because that's what I learned from my mom. You know, so it's it's things like that that really have pushed me to be the best that I can be. Like you know, I always joke that my husband is an only child, and oh, when wow. I met his parents and we got married and it was like oh it's your birthday here's presents or it's Hanukkah here's presents and I was like I grew up with none of this so you don't have to get me anything like don't worry you know and it was just like I, I never expect to get gifts and it's always a gift when you get them and it's just like that's so it's almost sometimes a struggle because I'm like oh I didn't send any birthday cards or birthday presents and like that's what happens in your family but it doesn't happen in
0: my family for sure I relate on like a bunch of different levels actually because first of all The fact that my father passed away when I was eight years old and he died at the age of 37 was a complete fluke. Like he was not sick at all and then became sick. He died in 25 days. He started feeling sick on January 1st and died January 25th. So it was like a crazy fluke. Um, And my mom always ingrained in us from a very young age, you know, like it's so important to have a career. You don't always have to be working in that career, but you always have to be able to rely on something you know, my mom was a lawyer. She was very well educated and she was able to rely on that. My dad was a prestigious doctor and thank God she was able to, you know, rely on her career because I don't know where we would have been otherwise, but I really relate to that. Um, So that's a really interesting point. And your career has been amazing. I feel like you've done, you know, I didn't even read your whole bio for everybody, but I feel like you've just done so much um, and you've really just grown in so many different directions like i'm always shocked when i meet somebody that doesn't know who you are and i'm like how do you not know who elisa abrams is she like runs the world you (laughs) know um but yeah okay so you went to my note for high school um and then you went to seminary for the year yeah where do you go i went to madrasha maria
1: for a year and a half had a blast it was a great time Yeah. yeah And then you went to Stern. I went to Stern, yeah. And you've been there like on and off ever since. Uh, Yeah, I I would actually say I've been for the last – since 2003, I've been at Yeshiva University. I took a four-year hiatus and worked at Central, the girls' high school, but still Yeshiva University. So I've been at YU for 20 years. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. So – Do you think that your upbringing contributed to what you work in? Well, I would say I think who I am is what contributed to, you know, what I do professionally. I would say my personality is certainly shaped by my upbringing. Um, As I mentioned, there were a lot of organizations, I would say, that were helpful to my family. We got Tom Chay Shabbos when I was a child. For those who don't know, Tom Chay Shabbos is an amazing organization that delivers food, I would say, anonymously. Um, to people's homes on Thursday nights and before holidays, uh, the do- the people who are dropping off don't know who the recipients are, and they specifically do it in the middle of the night so no one sees each other to really protect the people from being embarrassed. And it's really incredible. Um, so you know. Jewish communal work and Jewish education were always things that were very important to me. I actually thought I was going to become a teacher because I always loved being involved in programming and things like that. I was very involved with Yahad when I was in high school. I was a student council president of my high school. And I just, everyone was always like, Oh, you're gonna be a great teacher. You know, when are you gonna come back and teach here? And I said, Okay, but I actually didn't really want to be a classroom teacher. Um, and I was actually my mom who was like, you don't have to become a classroom teacher. You can figure this out. And um, after graduating Stern, where I had been very involved in Stern, I did a one-year fellowship at YU. And that's where I was like, wait a second, I can be involved in the Jewish community through my work and it doesn't have to be volunteering. And so I, again, I, I would say from my upbringing, you know, just the value and the significance of the community that supported us was very impactful on me. And that's why I, I feel I've dedicated my life to Jewish communal work. Wow, that's amazing.
0: It also sounds like you're
1: best friends
0: with your mother.
1: Like if yeah. sounds like your mother like your yeah. rock. Yeah. No, uh she's definitely she gave me life twice, right? She she birthed me and she donated a kidney to me that saved my life. Um and we're very close and um I mean I have other friends who are my peers, but you know when when you're raised by a single mom, you know, and she spends most of her time taking care of her kids. 100%. You know, yeah. and so but she she's great. Yeah, so we're very close.
0: Yeah, I always say like, you know, it was me, my mom, my sister, and my three and a half year old brother when my dad passed away. And I'm always like, all of our favorite memories were made in the bathroom, you know. We were all just kind of like in the same room, the same bed, you know. We were like very, very totally. tight knit because, yeah, that's what happens when you have a single mom. And um, it's a whole nother journey, um, so for sure. So then you were in Stern, and I know that you got Married like relatively later in life um and I'd love to like touch that you know upon that for a little bit um I'm curious also you said that you had high expectations and you know you really did not want to get divorced, and that really shaped you and I'm curious how that shaped your dating life and um your expectations for dating and
1: yeah. So I guess relatively old is interesting because when I I was single I got married at 31 um and when I was in the dating world. Uh, I certainly felt like I was ancient. And um, sadly, I still have friends now who are in their 40s who are single. So I am a lucky one, if you will. And in comparison, I got married young. Um, But I wasn't like my other friends who got married at 21 who now have kids graduating high school, right? I have a four-year-old and a (laughs) four-month-old. So it's different. I'm in a different stage of life than they are. Um, Yeah, dating uh, was certainly not a fun time for me. Um, I didn't enjoy it at all, except until I met my husband. I would say until the last year of my dating, things seemed to pick up, which was interesting. Um, I mean, I have some thoughts on that, actually, which I can share. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Yeah. I mean, I look, I'm somebody who always struggled with my weight. And uh, when I was 30 or so, like I finally got my act together a bit (laughs) and lost weight. And all of a sudden, then guys were like, oh, do you want to go out? And I was like, I will never forget the first guy that messaged me for my wow. number. And he's like, hey, can I give you a call? And I was like, sure, what's going on? And he's like, I wanted to ask you out. I'm like, that's never happened to me before. And I was 30. Wow. Like, so, but, you know, that's that's surprising. But I think I have other friends who had similar experiences probably or women who are still experiencing that. You know, I've also always struggled with my weight.
0: And somebody went to me when I was 21 and was like, If you don't get your weight under control, you're never going to get married. Like, you're going to be an older single. That's just the way that things are going to be. And, like, she showed me some pictures of people that um, had their siblings married and not them. And she'd be like, well, that person's heavy and that's why they're not married because their siblings are lighter. So they're married. But, they're not married. Like the heavier person's not married because they're heavy and that's going to be you. And then when I met Giddy at 22 and we like hit it off right away, we knew we were going to get married. And then I got married at 23. It was shocking. It was shocking. And that's why I like even today, I always tell myself like, yes, I'm 30 years old and I feel ancient, especially in like Ramabit Shemesh to not have kids yet. But like part of me really did not think that I'd be married at 30 and sometimes I have to like take that step back and be like you didn't think you'd be married by now so it's okay that you don't have kids yet you know totally
1: yeah I I mean first of all like I, I think the whole like when you got married how old blah 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 you know it's ridiculous what our community has said and I think that you know there's a line young and dumb like there are people who got married really young and really dumb um and some of those people are very sadly divorced today, right? Now there's people who have made great marriages and they were very blessed that at 21 and 22, they met the right person and Hashem showed them the clarity they needed to know that this was the right person. And I'm not saying their marriages are easy. I think everybody has to work on certain things. But But also if they're young and dumb and when they get married, sometimes even if they're happily
0: married, sometimes they'll make dumb comments because they're like, oh, I got married at 21 and X, Y, Z. And like, I'm gonna just say all these, bad things to my friends that are single because I got married at 21 and it's like okay like lucky you that you got married at 21 or had kids at 21 but
1: that's just not the reality for like people and that doesn't mean that you're better than them totally 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 and I think what's you know I think that in general it's kind of like what I talk about with asking people how many children do you have like why does that have to be an opening comment and question to anybody it shouldn't be so it's kind of the same thing like When age is discussed in relation to dating, it just makes you feel bad. And especially if it's somebody who's an older single, like if you're trying to set them up, you don't have to say, in my opinion, exactly how old they are. If they're in the right age range for the person, I'm not saying set a 40 year old woman up with a 20 year old guy. But if they're both in their late thirties and early forties, like it's it's shy to to connect them without knowing their their birthday, you know what I mean? In my personal opinion, but yeah, um, for sure, you know, um, yeah, I, I feel like now I've tangented off a few things, but uh, and I'm happy to go back to the dating and and being an older. Child, yeah, but. yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So yeah, so if you can talk about it, you know, you dated for I guess nine
1: ten years,
0: yeah. So, how was that for you? Like, what was that like? And what was your experience like? I also remember that you got married close in age to your youngest
1: sister. So, I wouldn't say close in age, close in in the calendar.
0: (laughs) Great. Close in the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you guys got married six months apart. Yeah. I remember that very well. I was telling my sister in law the other day about you, and it was weird that she didn't know who you were because she went to Stern. And I with saying when eliza got engaged it broke the internet and because i'm a year younger than your baby sister i remember like her also getting engaged the marriage so i'm curious like how that was for you you know with your whole dating experience and then that and yeah um
1: all of it yeah so i'll start with the dating experience uh it was horrendous <laughs> like i would go on literally two dates a year maximum wow i um was like you said, like everyone at YU knew me and like everybody just assumed that I was like dating everybody in the base midrash. Um And I wasn't. I I rarely got set up with anybody from the base medrash. I thought I would marry a rabbi. Like I thought I'd marry somebody who was in smicha. When I was in my year and a half in Israel, I spent a lot of time at Gross because like half of the people who lived there were my like NCSY advisors. And I was like, this is my dream. I just want to be a gross couple. But I, yeah, I mean, I thought that I would marry a rabbi and be a Rebbitzin and have a certain life, similar almost to like what my sister Brooke ended up, you know, and, and I love her husband, Daniel. He's amazing and they have a beautiful life. Brooke and I are very similar similar in certain ways. Um, and then I wasn't getting set up with the rabbis. And um, I, I'll actually never forget. There was one guy that I went out with. He was more yeshivish than I was at the time. I would say I was like, you know, YU you right wing or whatever. And this guy and I went out probably like four times in a week Twice a week, you know, three—I mean, weeks wow. three in a row, whatever—and it was the kind of thing like he was dating very intense, and I was like there for the ride, you know. And and mind you, he was like the cheapest person possible. On our first date, he opened up the the uh, console between our seats in the car and pulled out gushers and I was like, "Oh, I brought you a snack." And I was like, "No, like you're <laughs> 30. And then and then we like on our next date we like stopped by Dunkin' Donuts and he pulled out a package of coupons and I was like. It costs a, like $2 for coffee. Why are you thinking but And I appreciate his being, you know, mindful of his money, but it was like not the place. But anyways. Yeah, not on a date. Like if we're dating, okay. <laughs> but anyways, so, and I remember in the middle of our, our three weeks of intense dating, I actually went on a winter trip. I led winter trips for YU. And when I came back, we went out again and he then broke up with me like that night. But like we had a super long date. And then he said to me, I just feel like if I was a girl, I would never marry a rabbi and you're so involved in the community. It's like you're a rabbi and therefore I can't continue dating you. And I was like... I don't even I don't even know what that means. Like I'm not looking to be a rabbi. Like I just I just do good things, you know? And then when I finally met my husband and he was like, "I don't understand why aren't you married?" but he meant it in the nicest way possible because he was like blown away by how involved I was and he was the same person and like so excited to have the same values as somebody. Um, you know, and I was like, "Thank you. Like finally someone gets me." Um and you know, we knew within two weeks that we were marrying each other. Um, and it was, yeah. So, so going to having younger sisters who are married. So I, my sister right under me, Dina is two years younger than me. She is married 16 years already and, you know, had kids before her first uh, anniversary and her second by her third anniversary, you know? Um, and, when my sister Brooke was then dating somebody seriously, I was like, are you kidding me? Like both of my younger sisters are, and Brooke is nine years younger than me, you know, are getting married before me. And I like to joke that when I actually met my husband a week after Brooke's wedding um, and I, I wow, I can share more of that story. And the funny thing is, is that my brother then met his wife a week after my wedding. So we ended up all three of us getting wow. married. One- yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Talk about expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was, um, thank God for Brooklyn. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. All those midi skirts, you guys put our (laughs) weddings on, you know, thank you so much. Skater skirts really made the the, the deck in. Um, but (laughs) you know, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, it was timing, um, and being ready to meet the right person. Um, and, 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 my husband asked me out, like we met on a trip. We didn't meet the formal way through a Shad Khan or through somebody setting us up. And I think that was a big part of our meeting and connecting and actually wanting to date each other. Cause if we had been set up, we both would always say like, oh, we wouldn't have gone out because we were different religiously at the time. Um, and that's a big deal for people. Um, so it was, I joke though, and I, just about my sisters being younger than me, I said to my mom, like any mistakes that were made at their weddings will not happen at my wedding." And I'm having a bridal assistant because everything I did at their weddings, I can't do at my own wedding. So, you know, that was learning from their weddings, but uh, everybody had beautiful weddings. Yeah. So
0: funny. So, can you tell us more about the story of meeting him right like a
1: week after um, Brooke's wedding? Sure. So first of all, my husband's name is Sam. Um, and Sam and I, we met very briefly, I should first say, um, at a conference in DC that I was speaking at. Um, he was not even really attending the conference. He came to just hock around. He lived in Baltimore at the time. So he was in the lobby. And I had one friend at this conference. Um, I spoke on a panel, and then I was at, heading right back to New York. And so she said, oh, meet me in the lobby to say goodbye. OK, great. So I went to lobby. And she was like, oh, Lisa, this is my friend Sam. Um, I just wanted to connect the two of you. And I thought it was a professional introduction in the literally 90 seconds that I spoke to him. I thought he said he was the Hillel campus rabbi. Uh, He worked at a Hillel uh, at Towson University. And so I assumed he was married because I just assumed that Hillel campus rabbis would be married because like who would want to live in a random place by themselves? And, um, you know, and, and that was it. He was wearing a suit. He had an accent I kind of assumed maybe he was formerly Hasidish because what I found out later was his accent was from Vienna, Austria, which, you know, German and in Yiddish sounds similar. <laughs> for sure. Um, so I was just like, uh, thanks. Nice to meet you. And he, in that two minutes was like, oh, I know you run trips for YU. I'm actually going on this trip for Jewish educators to Poland. There's an extra spot. Someone just canceled. Maybe you're interested in going. And I was like, yeah, actually I am. And this is really like a two minute conversation. And he handed me his phone. And he said, here, email the lady in charge, pretend that you're me and just tell her you're great and you should come. And I was like, okay. And I was so like, not paying attention that I was wondering why some of the letters were like in different places on his keyboard of his iPhone, but it was because it was the German keyboard and not the you know QWERTY that we're used to, but I just didn't realize. So funny. And that was it. Like I said, goodbye. And I went on the train back to New York and that was it. And um, I, I got accepted to the trip. Um, and then he friended me on Facebook and I was like, are you kidding me? You're a married man. Why are you friending me on Facebook? And like, whatever. And this is also like not early in the Facebook days, but this is like 10 years ago. Um, a little bit less than that, but, we re met then in Poland and the crazy thing was, my mom was begging me not to go on this trip because there was a lot of like semitism that had happened that summer in, in Europe. And she's like, why do you have to go to Poland of all places? It's dangerous. And I was like, it's not dangerous. I'm gonna be with a group, I'm gonna be fine. And my sister's getting married, so I can do whatever I want. You know, that was basically my attitude. And so the night before I left, my roommate at the time said to me like, who are you going with on this trip? And I was like, I don't know, some guy I met in DC who told me about the trip. And, and some guy who I'd gone to elementary school with, but I was not in touch with. And uh, so I went. So then on the first day of the trip, I like re-met him in the lobby. And I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. You know, that was it. And then later in the day, we were walking through uh, Warsaw and we were going into the JCC of Warsaw for dinner. And like, I could see that the tour guide didn't seem to know where she was going. And again, I, at the time, was running trips professionally multiple times a year. And I was very type A when it comes to trips. And I see now this guy, Sam, is talking in Polish to the tour guide telling her where to go. And I like march up to him. And I was like, hey, can you get this program like back on schedule? Like it's annoying that this is such a gun." And he was like, oh, don't worry. It's fine. Like we're almost here. And I was like, okay. And as we were walking in, we were chatting and I just was like, can I just ask you a personal question? He's like, sure. And I was like, how come your wife didn't come on the trip? And he's like, what wife? And I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, I just assumed you were married. He's like, why would you assume I was married? And I was like, because you're the Hillel rabbi. He's like, I'm not a Hillel rabbi. I was like, who are you? Are you a creep? Yeah, no, he was the director of the Hillel, not the rabbi. And um, we sat next to each other at dinner and just like clicked. And then by the end of the week, we were dating and we were engaged three months later.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So that's also very interesting because, I mean, yes, he, you know, was part of Hillel, but it seems like, he was anything but what you imagined that you'd end up with, right? Like, you thought that you'd end up with probably someone, you know, from the similar, you know, tri-state area that was a rabbi that was more in the box. um,
1: And he seems not to be that way. So how is that? So what's funny is I actually, when I was always frustrated about my dating, I would would literally say, I'm just going to end up marrying somebody from Zimbabwe. Like, my husband's going to (laughs) come from the randomest place. And that's what it's gonna be. And so that's why almost when I met Sam Vienna, Zimbabwe. It's very similar. <laughs> you know, like when I met him, I was like, This just makes sense because I'm I'm in the box in many ways of my life, but I'm also out of the box. I'm an outspoken woman. I am I'm like a from you know, but like front of the room person, you know, like I, I. so I, there's lots of stuff about me that people will be like, are you like, where are you? And I'm just like, this is who I am. This is just what I do. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Sam grew up, so he actually grew up, he was born in Vienna and raised in Copenhagen. Um, his parents wow. are Polish. They Their parents survived the Holocaust and moved back to Poland. And then they were born in Poland. So he speaks Polish as his first language. And um, one of the things that I always wanted, neither of my grandparents are religious. Um, and I always really wanted to have, you know, from grandparents for my children and for You know, better or for worse, my in-laws are not religious people. They're the warmest, most loving grandparents you can ask for. Um, But, you know, that was something that I just, I kind of always thought, like, I'll have, you know, what my friends had. Um, And thank God my mom is from, so my my children have that. But, um, you know, that was like one of the things that I was like, Okay, different than what I expected. Um, yeah. You know, Sam did not go through the yeshiva day school system. Uh, I did. You know, so there were different parts of our of who we were. But like I said earlier, you know, our values and our commitment to the Jewish community, our our interests and involvement with college students were like totally in the same place, and that's what connected us. So um, it
0: really sounds like I should have him on the podcast too. Mm-hmm. He sounds like a very interesting person growing up in Vienna, and then you know, um, becoming Balchuva. And like, that's a really interesting story in and of itself. So maybe one day we'll have him on. You got it. um, But yeah, I mean, one of the things that, you know, me and Giddy grew up a little bit different, but like, you know, more or less in the same type of communities. And we always say, because we know people that married, you know, a person that didn't speak their first language.
1: Like, how is that to be married to somebody that isn't speaking your first language? So in Sam's defense, uh, he did go to high school in England. So he does speak English perfectly, except he does mess things up every now and then. So he'll be like, it costs an arm and a neck. And I'm like, it's not an arm and a neck. It's an arm and a neck. But you know, it's interesting because when we first started dating, he did not appreciate my sarcasm or my sense of humor. And he thought I was being mean. And I was like, no, I'm funny. (laughs) What do you mean? Well,
0: Giddy doesn't appreciate my sense of humor always, but that's because I grew up with a very crazy life and he grew up not as crazy of a life. And my sense of humor is super morbid. And he's like,
1: you can't say that. I'm like, but it's funny. I I don't have a morbid sense of humor, but I definitely have a sarcastic sense of humor. And um, then that was a learning curve for both of us. Um, You know, I, I love like games like taboo and other word games and he can't play them because English is not his first language. And it's too annoying. It's annoying for me because I'm like, okay, you're not a good partner, and I'm going to lose. And, uh, you know, it's just it's he doesn't get those word association games in the same way. Uh, He's a very intelligent person. But you know, so it it is interesting. Um, You know, there are times when he and his parents are speaking Polish, and it frustrates me. And I'm like, please speak English in my house. I don't know what you're saying. You know, I don't know what you're saying. And they're very quick to be like, oh, right, you know, we just forgot, you know, and so it's challenging. I have a good friend who's She lives in Israel, and her mother-in-law and her husband came from Iran to Israel. And her mother-in-law and father-in-law do not speak one word of Hebrew or English. She only speaks. Wow. So my friend literally can't speak to her mother-in-law, and I can imagine that. That's so hard. Yeah. So it was a learning curve, you know. I mean, again, he speaks English well, perfectly, whatever. But um, you know, I I definitely edit emails for him every now and then. (laughs)
0: Even my nephew, my sister married a guy who grew up half in america half in israel um and him and my nephew are always speaking hebrew to each other and i'm like guys i know i've lived here for eight years but my hebrew sucks please english i'm like you know or like my nephew will bring me a hebrew book and i'll be like Chagai, i can't read that let's not do this <laughs> you know like let's do an
1: english Absolutely. book um but, yeah, so I really hear that. Um, and is he teaching your kids Polish? or No. So in Austria, they speak German. And so Sam initially was speaking German with our son. And – he really understood. And then it just gets harder when one of the parents doesn't speak the language to like maintain it. Um, So he stopped. Uh, My son though, thank God is Sam is amazing with languages. He speaks four languages and I, you know, I'm also pretty good with languages, but I don't speak as many as him because I'm American. Um, And my son seems to be picking it up. Also, again, my mother-in-law has continued to speak to him in German, but they don't speak every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, we're hoping that he'll, we'll, we like pepper it in every now and then. So he, he I'll, I'll like throw things in like every now and then when he'll be like, mom, make a new comment. I'm like, ein moment. <laughs> like, I don't know why I stuck with that phrase. It means one minute. But like, uh, I, I say a few things in German just to like keep it in the back of his head. But um, nice. yeah,
0: and you've learned German over the years or like just very little.
1: So no. So I understand some German because words are similar in Yiddish and English. Like I can get enough of the context. If people are talking quickly, I can't get it. But again, because he was talking to a baby, I could understand and follow because he was talking very simplistically. Right. Um, so I, you know, I I know how to say don't put that in your mouth <laughs> and let <laughs> sit down. Um, but I would not be able to carry a conversation, um, but yeah. In Polish, I haven't even attempted. I know like three words. That's it. Wow, that's really interesting. So then you guys
0: got married. Yes. Um, and after you said five months
1: of dating, three months of dating? three, we were engaged. Yeah, we were like we knew we were getting engaged after two weeks, but we waited three months just so everyone didn't have a heart attack. And <laughs> well, we waited
0: five or six, even though we knew on the first two dates. Yeah. So. I can relate to that, too. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's really crazy when you're like, Mom, I'm going to marry this guy. And they're like, "Eh, what are you smoking? And I'm like, no, I'm actually going to marry this guy. Um, And I did. But they really thought I was smoking something because (laughs) they did not believe it. Um, (laughs) But um, wow. okay. so you and Sam got married and he was, you know, different than expected um but you guys had a lot in common um
1: and historically you guys were a bit different but like relatively similar yeah i mean uh, he's okay with me sharing this kind of stuff you know so again he grew up in a he likes to say like a non-orthodox religious home, meaning his parents, the any school they attended was always an Orthodox shul. Uh, You know, he had a bar mitzvah that was in a, an Orthodox school, um, but they didn't keep kosher in their home, and he ate dairy out until we started dating. And mm. like I was talking to him about, I'm like, you know, that that's just not kosher. Like saying you eat just dairy out is just not keeping kosher, and that was really hard for me, you know. And he stopped it right away. Wow. I asked him to stop, but he's like. I'm done. Like, I, I, he, cause he already, we knew like there was something special between us. Yeah. And so he was like, that's important to you. That's important to wow. me. Um, so, yeah. So, like, that was, you know, did he ever think he would have a wife that wore a shetel? No. You know, his mother did not, I invited her to come to like a Shaitzel point with me when I first was looking for Shatels And she did not want to come. And now she like is blown away by my Shatels, especially these lace tops. You know, she loves that stuff. Um, so it was all, it was a learning process for everybody. Um, I, to be perfectly honest, I met my in-laws the same day that we bought my ring. Like, the only reason really why we waited was because they were in Europe at the time for the summer. And so Europe and Israel, whatever, I can't really remember. And so they came into New York to meet me. We had lunch, and then we went to the Diamond District, and then we got engaged the week later. So it was really just, like, waiting for everybody to meet that, like, that happened. Like, they met my mom the same night. Like, it was all, like, squished in. Yeah. Well, we were dating in Israel, so we also – um i met
0: his parents on friday and we were engaged on monday like i'm saying in the yu parking lot may i add um (laughs) i always say i love where we got engaged because who can say that they got engaged in the yu parking lot you know only you guys very unique yes um exactly only oh, yeah. um literally in the car in the parking lot <laughs> um so okay so you guys got married and it was a, like a more traditional wedding like was there something different because he was from Vienna Copenhagen so yeah <laughs>
1: Poland yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well I would say the following First of all, in Europe they and other places outside America it seems that they have like Ten hour long weddings, except for England. England has like a weird setup, but um, you know, so they they go on and on and on. And I was like, in America, our weddings are six hours, and that's it. Um, so you know, his parents, a lot of their friends flew in from Europe, and we got married January fourth. So they basically made like a whole New Year's weekend celebration out of everything, and they had a Fun. whole tone and I didn't get to go to anything because we were not seeing each other that week. And I was like, this isn't fair, but um, but they they had a great time. Um, no, I, our our wedding was you know, it was a beautiful wedding like anybody else in New York. The one thing I will say that I was very proud of was that our chuppah, we did the seating in the round. So our chuppah was in the center of the room and we had, concentric circles going around it separate seating but and it was just really lovely and something that most people had never seen before I had never seen it but I had this like vision um so that was it beautiful yeah okay so then you know I know that you have a whole surrogacy
0: story as well and I want to touch on it um as you know we spoke about a lot of it people can hear on the Instagram live that we did and I'm going to please gotta share that live when I share your podcast um you know I'll share it again in my stories um but if we can just touch on it like a little bit I know that we've already you know your mo- your mother um giving you a kidney and stuff like that um but I feel like that is important to your story and who you are um so if we can just like touch on the surrogacy story and share a little bit about that
1: sure um so we got married in January, um, and I and I share the following because it like, runs through my head. Because my husband was working in Baltimore and I was working in New York, we got married in the middle of the school year, and we both had school-based jobs. We actually did not live together until May when he moved to New York, so we would spend the week separately and then Shabbos together. I don't recommend it. It was pretty depressing um, because I felt very alone. Um, and... So we had decided, like, we wouldn't try and start getting pregnant right away because I didn't want to be, like, having morning sickness by myself. Like, I just had this vision of, like, oh, I would be throwing up and no one would be there to hold my hair. Like, because that's what you think happens. You get married, you get pregnant, you throw up, your husband is there, right? Like, because that's what we think of and we dream of. And... Chalavai, that should be my reality, you know? (laughs) I I got you, girl. Um, And... um, So we said, okay, we'll wait till we live together in New York to like start a family. It was only a few months. Um, I knew when I got married that I had kidney disease, but it was very much like in the back of my mind. It wasn't a big deal. It was just like I had to monitor. My doctor said, don't worry. Like when you have children, you'll just be probably considered a high risk pregnancy, but like, so is half of the world. So it's not a big deal. Um, So Pesach, which was four and a half months after we got married um, that morning. Uh, so we ended up spending Pesach at my husband's campus because he was running the seders as the hill director. And I woke up with like a crazy pain in my right foot, but I ignored it because we had to make seders. And by the end of the two days of Chag, I couldn't walk. Like my foot was killing me. Um, why I didn't go to the hospital on Chag still confuses me because it was really bad. But I went to the hospital. They couldn't figure it out. They thought maybe I hurt myself. but I was like, I didn't do anything. I didn't fall. I didn't do anything they gave me a pair of crutches and sent me on my way. The next day we came back to New York and um, saw my orthopedist. He also was like, I don't know, here's a boot. (laughs) That didn't help. And then I went to my regular doctor, my PCP, and he was like, you have a blood clot. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Um, And it was, I had traveled to Israel uh, in March, right after our wedding. And um, I was on birth control. And when you are potentially more susceptible to getting blood clots, and you fly, and you're on birth control, you're going to get a blood clot. Um, and I didn't know to like drink water and walk around and all that stuff. Like I, I just didn't know that I was more susceptible to getting a blood clot because it was the first time I was on birth control. And um, basically, that kind of put the brakes on trying to get pregnant right away because then I had to figure out like what was going on and why was I getting a blood clot and was there anything connected to my kidney disease. So. Long story short, uh, you know, fast forward, what ended up being about two years of trying to manage my health, um, the doctors were like, your kidney disease is getting worse, and you cannot get pregnant right now. Like, it's just not safe for you. It's not safe for a baby. We have to try and take this and get this under control. And one doctor, my third nephrologist, who later on I found out herself, never had children for a variety of reasons. Um, she said to me, if you want to have children, you have two options. One, you wait until after you have your kidney transplant, which I did not know when that would be, or you consider surrogacy. And I had never heard about surrogacy before. Uh, it was I mean, I guess I had heard the word and the concept, but I really didn't know what it was. I was so devastated and I was just so hurt and angry. And I was like, who are you to tell me? to have somebody else carry my baby. Like, no, I'm an Orthodox woman. I got married at 31. Like, this is my time to shine. And you're telling me that I shouldn't. And like, I should just let somebody else have my baby. Um, And it was really hard and a lot of crying and a lot of anger and a lot of davening. And we spoke with our rabbi and he was like, listen, you can do it from a halachic perspective. Like if this is going to be a safe way for you to have children, do it. And we came to that reality and, you know, went back to my doctor and said, okay, like we're going to do surrogacy. And so she explained, you know, you got to do IVF to create embryos and they got, it was healthy enough to do that. And, um, crazy enough, um, when we went through the IVF creation process, that caused my kidneys to just like plummet. And when I initially started the process, I thought that I would be in my 40s when I would have a transplant, maybe. And then it went from, oh, no, it's going to be in a year from now to it's going to be in six months from now. And so I ended up having a kidney transplant in um, February 2018. And we were simultaneously starting the surrogacy process. So while I was like getting blood test results for my kidneys, I was making embryos and I was trying to find a surrogate and it was crazy. And working. Um, yeah, <laughs> working. I forgot <laughs> about that. That's um, You know, so it was a really challenging, trying time. Um, thank God back then you waited like six months to find a surrogate. Nowadays, it's a year and a half. minimum. Wow. Yeah. It's really hard for people to find surrogates. I'm not exactly sure. You know, During COVID, I knew what was going on because a lot of surrogates didn't want to be vaccinated and doctors didn't want to work with unvaccinated women. Now I'm not really sure why people aren't able to find surrogates, um, but that's what's happening. So we went through the surrogacy process um, and it took two years from when we signed on with an agency until our son was born. It's not like a nine months later, you get a baby in the mail. Uh, you know, it's a long process. It's we dealt with failed transfers as well, um, and you're trusting this stranger, really, to take care of their body and take care of your baby, and you're hoping and praying that this is all going to work, and it's incredibly expensive, um, and it's incredibly emotional, but we were gifted with our son, and it was the greatest thing ever. And then you were also gifted with the daughter. Yeah, so um, we, we tried starting a second journey when our son was about a year and a half, and um, And we had matched with a surrogate and went through getting her tested and medically cleared and spent $25,000. And then she pulled out uh, right before we went to sign contracts. And it took another year, yeah, for us to start up with a new agency and a new surrogate. And um, thank God in May of 2023, just four months ago, we welcomed our daughter. And um, that was a little bit of a shorter process in like, start to finish, but it took us longer because we had to start the process again and again. So um, thank God we, we were blessed to do surrogacy twice and to uh, have our family and my health. And um, I, I'm incredibly grateful. Wow. So wow. what was the
0: difference in the process with both of the kids?
1: So it was two years from start to finish with our son and like a year and a half with our daughter um, with our first sur- surrogacy journey. Um, so our surrogates, the first embryo transfer did not work. And our doctor made us wait six months between transfers. Why? Why? I still can't remember why. Um, wow. It still upsets me because it just felt like a really long time. Yeah. And everything till it takes a long time to get a surrogate cleared. You know, she has to have medical clearance, and she has to go for testing, Then she has to start the medications, and and then till her body's ready, and then you have a tra- an embryo transfer, and it fails, and you have to do it all again, and then you're like, oh my gosh, is this gonna work? And thank God it did work on the second transfer. Um, and with our daughter, we had the same thing. The first transfer didn't work, but thank God we only had to wait one month between transfers. It was a different doctor. Um, we switched agencies, we switched clinics, you know, we whatever. So um, it was a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say the process with our second agency was much better. Um, I'm happy to share the name. We worked with Surrogate Solutions. I loved working with them every step of the way. Whereas our first agency, I felt like, we were annoying them anytime we had a question and I really resented that experience, which was unfortunate. And since, Having our children, and I'm happy to talk about them more, I created a community. Um, We have a WhatsApp support community for families and individuals going through surrogacy who are Jewish. We have about 80 people actively in the community, and it's just an amazing resource for people because people feel really alone in general through through fertility kind of treatments and and process, Um, and in particular with surrogacy because people tend to be very private about it um, and also don't know anybody else who has done it. You know, it's a really um, isolating experience, and this has created a real space for people to find other people who get what they're going through and answer questions and support each other, which is really amazing. 100%. So I
0: don't know if this is something that you'd want to put on the podcast or not. Um, you can let me know, or if you don't even have the answer if you don't want to. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of your daughter, right? So maybe I'm not understanding 100%, but you're- yeah. Kidney transplant happened, right? Your mom gave you a kidney. Um, and then, like, after the kidney transplant, why
1: did you still do
0: surrogacy if the transplant had already happened?
1: You're a great question. Right. And I actually thought that that was going to be the case. Um, my doctors told me when I was doing my transplant, usually people are cleared a year after they can carry, and it's great. Couple things. First of all, I have a lot of respect for my doctors. I love my medical team. um, And I really do feel that they save my life and keep me alive. Um, But they don't prepare you for worst case scenario. They prepare you for best case scenario. And um, I had a really, really hellish year and a half after my transplant. I was in and out of the hospital six times at one point I was in the hospital for four weeks. I literally lived in the hospital for a month because I had a virus and they couldn't get it out of my body. And it was horrendous. Um, I actually felt okay, but it was just appearing in my blood work and they wouldn't let me out of the hospital. And so when they finally got everything under control and the right medications and the right this and that, um, they're very hesitant to let you mess with anything. And there are certain medications that I take that would impact a pregnancy and you can't be pregnant and on some of the anti-rejection medications that I'm on. So my doctors don't want to pull me off of those. And I've asked a number of times, you know, can I carry, can I carry, can I carry? And they just don't want to let me do it. Wow! And listen, it's my body. It's my choice. Like if I want to be like, no, take me all this medicine and do it. Okay. But it's not a safe decision for me to make. And it's not a safe decision for a baby for me to make. So that's why we ended up doing surrogacy a second time. Yeah. And, um, and thank God I was able to, you know, be a healthy mom for my children and and that's you know the decision we made.
0: Wow. Now- are you still working with I was supposed to have a baby also?
1: Yes, so I'm officially the surrogacy consultant for I was supposed to have a baby. Um anyone that reaches out to I was supposed to have a baby about surrogacy first of all, I'm on their website and I am on the team. so I officially consult through them. Uh, people reach out all the time through Instagram and email and um I would say I have weekly calls and Zoom calls with people who are exploring surrogacy and people have joined the community and, you know, I'm a resource through them as well.
0: So what would you say is the one thing? I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's more than one thing, but what is one thing that you would tell somebody that is thinking about surrogacy, going through the process? Like, What is one thing that you wish somebody
1: told you before you started? not to worry about being connected to my children. I think that's one of the biggest concerns that people have is, will I feel like this baby is mine? Will this baby feel like I'm theirs? I can tell you like from the bottom of my heart, first of all, I think the the first time I heard their heartbeats, I felt connected. Um, Wow. But the second my children were crowning or coming out and, and, and handed to me, they're they're handed to you, you know, right away after the cord is cut. They're my babies. Like, there's not a question. There was no feeling of, like, do I feel connected? And I think that's a really hard point for people to reach when they're like, will I have that? Especially if someone had carried a child and then can no longer carry and then has to do surrogacy. They're like, but will my baby know me the same way my older child... Yes, like there is no question, and your baby's oh. going to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and smile at you and know that you know you're their mommy, um, and and that's what I would say. Like, not worry about that. That's amazing. You know, I think in general one of the things that comes up with surrogacy is people be like, "Oh my gosh, your kids look so much like you." And I'm like, "Yes, that's how genetics work. <laughs> um, these children are 100% mine and my husband's DNA, and I was very blessed to do that." But you know what else you don't have to ask somebody all the time is who does your baby look like? Because if someone does use an egg donor or sperm donation, you know what? Yeah, that baby might not look exactly like their parent, but it's none of your freaking business. (laughs) And it doesn't matter because they're being raised in the loving home by those loving parents. And that's what matters is those parents are their parents. And, you know, people who go through adoption and things like that, they're giving these children the best life possible. And that's amazing. And, you know, thank God these options exist for people. And that's how I feel about surrogacy and And adoption and egg donation, like some of us just weren't blessed to have our children the same way that everybody else did, but we're still blessed to have our children and that's what matters.
0: For sure. So... I'm curious, what is the worst comment that somebody's ever made to you in terms of surrogacy? um, And then I'm curious what
1: the worst comment was when you were single. So I would say a couple of things. One, when I told one person that we were expecting a baby to be a surrogate, they're like, you know, I thought you looked different. And I'm like, (laughs) I literally just told you that I'm not carrying my child. So you just told me that I'm fat. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, That was number one. And it was probably when I was like at my skinniest because I was sick. (laughs) Like whatever. Anyways. uh, But it was Um... So that, that is pretty so – I would say the, the other thing that bothers me, and as much as I think adoption is the greatest option for the people who for whom it's the right option, when people will say to me, like, why don't you just adopt? is If it's like going to a vending machine and pulling a baby out, that is not how it works. Like, you know, yeah. surrogacy costs a ton of money. Adoption costs a ton of money. I was lucky that I was able to do surrogacy. My body was able to create embryos. Like, that is a gift. But even – like, I've been told, why don't you just do surrogacy? And
0: it's the same thing. It's like – these aren't just you know it's not like just surrogacy just adoption just IVF like no like these are really like big decisions and it's not something that you can just decide on like you know a woman be like okay well I'm gonna like yeah go to a vending machine and just do surrogacy just do adoption
1: like it is it's a big decision it's a big financial decision uh you know so that's that's a lot I would say the other thing that is not directly related to surrogacy per se but is every time somebody says to me like, well, when are you going to move to Teaneck and buy a house? And I'm like, you, first of all, don't know anybody's financials, right? But For me to have children is the same amount of money as it is a down payment on a house. And that's where we put our money. So every time someone asks me what I feel is a personal question, like, when are you going to buy a house already? Of course, I would love to be 40 and own a house. But that's not the reality for me because I would also love to have six children. But that's not the reality for me. Right. And so I think it's just like these personal questions that people have to take like one second to think like, oh, will this strike a chord in the wrong way with somebody? You know, for sure. Well, I always say that
0: meeting new people is very hard. Actually, my platform people are always like, is it weird for you that people come up to you and talk to you like they know you because of your platform? I'm like, I like that so much more than when people don't know me because when people don't know me, I'm like, what stupid thing are people going to say? Like, I was somewhere recently and somebody, they're like, how many kids do you have? And I'm like, I understand we live in near eight Shemesh. Okay, most people, 99% of people have kids. But like, you can ask oh do you have kids even you know that's even better than oh how many kids do you have and I'm like none you know like what do you want me to answer to that you know and then you just like like an idiot and then I'm like okay like I'm sorry I made you look like an idiot but you don't say the I'm sorry part just say you You look like an idiot (laughs) oh I don't even say it to them I just kind of say none (laughs) I don't have kids you know and then I just go back to my friends and I'm like you know I'm helping my friends and whatever and like it's very, yeah. it's very interesting. Um, or Somebody recently went to me and they were like, oh, you live in your Ramabe Shemesh. I assume, I assume that you're married and have kids. And I'm like, you assume wrong, but
1: okay. You um, know, that's the thing. So, like, yeah. yes, you live in Ramabe Shemesh. Sure, sure. 99% people have children. But it's also 2023 when we've done a lot to make people more sensitive to how we talk about family planning and children. Like, it doesn't need to be the first thing you ask. And that's it. And like,
0: well, I also think it's funny because, you know, those are new people, but even people that I am close to sometimes make comments and I'll be like, you should know better by now. Like, you literally speak to me all the time. Mm -hmm. How are you asking this? You know, like, what planet are you on that you think that that's a good question when literally you know that
1: that's not a good question? Yeah. Um, And I don't think most people are ill-intentioned, you know, and I, I like to remind people that if you're talking to somebody who doesn't have children... Don't assume they're just sitting at home, like, twiddling your thumbs, trying to think, like, hmm, should I see a doctor? Like, they've probably gone to the doctor. They've probably explored what options are available to them. And you're not a part of their decision-making process. So back off.
0: <laughs> Great. For
1: sure. So and
0: then in terms of being single, what do you think was, like, one of the stupidest comments someone made when you were single?
1: I mean, I would definitely say when, every time or when people told me to lose weight. Like it was obnoxious. Um, but one of my favorite stories actually is they had gone to one of those like meet the Shadchan events where you kind of like did, uh, what's it called? Like uh, speed dating with Shadchanim. Yeah. yeah. And this woman at the very end of my conversation with her was like, so is there anything like that would stop you from dating somebody? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, no, like something that like for sure you would date something like that. Like, let's say, I don't know, their parents were divorced. And I was like, well, that would be weird because my parents are divorced. And I got up and I walked away. And I was just like, you're so dumb. Like, who says that to people? And like, why is that a standard? Why is that a thing that we would encourage that somebody should judge other people and be like, oh, I can't date them because their parents are divorced?
0: Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is nuts. I mean, that is very different. But my stepdad also was saying recently that he'd get the question a lot like, oh, do your kids live with you full time? And he's like, where else are they going to live? You know? Um, or whatever. I also got the question one time. This was a great question. Me and my sister, um, Leia, who you probably know, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. So we look Leia Blumenthal we look very different. We're night and day. And so one time we were talking to people and they came up to me, and they were like, Oh, you know, you guys uh look so much alike. I'm like, We're step siblings, nice <laughs> you know, like I don't think we look anything alike. Like there's not one part of us that can remotely look alike, but sure um so that's yeah no it's really tough I'm actually curious about your dating because you said that like one of the reasons that it was easier for you was because you lost weight but do you think that like not that the people that made those comments were right. They were wrong, a 1,050%. But how do you think weight affects Shadochim and dating in general? And like, I'm curious to hear just more about that because that's, I feel like there's two different coins there.
1: Right, so I would say the following. You know, we're, we're working and playing in a man's world, to be perfectly honest. um, You know, and I would say to people who would be like, I don't want to take a better picture. I'm like, here's the thing. If you want to play the game, You got to play by the rules. And if you don't, then that's fine. At the same time, we both know there are plenty of women who are overweight who got married and have beautiful marriages. So, like, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. The problem is, is that our, again, our community or the Shadchanim will be like, oh, she's not right for him because, you know, she's a size 12 and he needs a skinny girl. So, like, why don't we take our own personal grievances out and let two people decide? I will never forget one of the first dates I went on. I remember coming out of Brookdale Hall and I saw the guy's eyes literally pop out of his head. Like he was so embarrassed that he had to be seen with me. And I was never ugly, but I was. And I was always. Did you walk right back into Brookdale Hall? No, I mistakenly gave him the (laughs) the time of day. Um, But, you know, do I think that weight matters? I think it's about presenting yourself. There are beautiful overweight people, but you know what? There's also beautiful skinny girls who are still single, who are accomplished, who have money, who have degrees, who have come from great families. Like there's no real answer why people are single. Uh, you know, I think it's it's just up to Hashem. You know, like that's what it comes down to. But again, you have to put yourself together and be presentable. Um, and I think that, yes, did guys notice me more when I lost weight? Yes, um, but I've also yo-yoed throughout my entire marriage with my husband, a large part due to my health. And he's never loved me any second less because of that. And he's like, oh, there's more of you to love. Like, who cares, you know? And like, for sure, that's, that's great. Um, so I, I think, you know, there were. I still remember like I once had a picture where I thought I looked really good and I was like holding my nephew who at the time was like two years old in a picture. And Ashad Khan said to me, people are going to think you have children and you shouldn't keep that picture up. And I was like- Well, what's weird is that in my bio, it says never married no children. So if they're (laughs) illiterate, I'm really not interested in being set up with them anyways. You know, like, come on. You know, so that was like upsetting. And this is where I think our community inserts themselves too much. They're not hushkafically appropriate. They're from different this, from that. Let two people who share similar values meet and let them make that decision. We are not the gatekeepers, but we've decided that we are. And, and I also just want to say, you know, I appreciate talking about this and I definitely have PTSD from being single, but my experience as a single person is already so different than people who are single today. I didn't have yeah. apps to deal with. I was never swiped, right? Like I got married right before that came out. J-Swipe had just started. Wow. Um, but I, certainly online profiles was a thing, but like, it's very different. Even social media has changed so drastically. Um, yeah. But the sensitivity to singles is something that has not changed. And that is what I will always be on my soapbox talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's really crazy. My best friend is single today, and um, it's actually it's really hard for both of us, right? Like, I think it's hard for her to be single, and it's hard for me to be married without kids. But like, it's also really nice for both of us because we kind of get each other because we both don't really fit in and we don't really belong somewhere because we are older and we don't have kids. And I think that it's you know, Hashem really runs the world, and it's something that we have to remember.
1: 100 percent
0: what is your favorite pusuk? i feel like you definitely have like a pusuk that you relate to
1: the most i do i do actually um your brothers are going to war and you are sitting here so to me is like we are one united people we can't assume that someone else is going to like take care of fighting our battles for us we all have to be on the front line together and i think to me that's like why I stand up and I'm I'm proactive and I am an advocate for surrogacy and for singles and for all that kind of stuff is, like, I can't let people be hurting and me not take a, an active role. Another reason why the Pasuk, Ha'acheichem yavo l'milchama v'tem teishvupo really resonates with me, is apropos to what has been happening since Israel uh, was attacked on October 7th. The American Jewry and Diaspora Jewry cannot sit idly by while israel is at war Uh, i myself have been involved in efforts to send supplies to israel uh certainly sending money and most recently led a a solidarity mission to israel for yashiv university taking 36 students with me to israel to volunteer and meet with people and meet with survivors of october 7th and see the devastated areas in the south and when we live in America, we have a responsibility that despite the distance between us and Israel, we must always stand up for Israel. And for this reason, again, this pasuk is by far my favorite pasuk because it just really resonates with me and my feeling of taking responsibility to, to stand up and take action when it's needed. And hopefully Israel will persevere and hopefully all of us will end up in Israel one day. But until then, we have to remind ourselves that we cannot sit idly by while a significant portion of the Jewish people is hurting and being hurt.
0: So, Aliva, thank you so much. Um, is there a place that somebody could reach out to you um, if they had any questions or if they wanted to talk to you about
1: anything? Um, where could they, you know, connect to you? sure i am on facebook and on instagram i'm not super savvy on instagram to be perfectly honest and i'm kicking myself that i'm too old and i have to like get into it but um aliza a Koenig on instagram aliza abrams Koenig on facebook you know find me on those platforms aliza abrams at gmail you can hit me up wherever um and you can always reach out to uh, any of the organizations i'm involved with they can connect you as well
0: amazing thank you so much and uh Yeah, looking forward to future conversations with you on the pod, not on the pod. You're just a remarkable person. And uh, we got to get Sam on here. That's that's the next step.
1: (laughs) He almost crashed now in the middle of uh, this recording. So I should have just had him sit down. But yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: All the best. Thank you.
1: Thank you too. Take care.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Anything But Traditional. I really appreciated Eliza coming on and sharing her story of being an older single and her dating experience and um, just all around what she's been through. Her life has been intense um, and it's interesting because I've known her for so many years but I didn't know a lot of this. I didn't know a lot about you know who she was and the background to her story and what she's been through and how much we have in common. Um, and I think it's just a really powerful episode. So I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you had an amazing, you know, time listening to it. And don't forget about the Keep the Vision Alive, Tactical Glasses, Fundraiser, and Memory of My Father. Um, and in addition, don't forget that we have many sponsorship and dedication opportunities. Um ads so definitely please be in touch about any of it um and as always there's a lot to unpack here so please head on over to tales of tomorrow and instagram.com um to talk it out i'm here to listen i'm here to communicate with you i'm here to talk things out with you so go on over let's discuss thank you for being here until next time